There's a story about three Buddhist monks quietly meditating near a mountain stream when suddenly an angel of light appears before them and the, and the angel singles out the oldest of the three monks, a monk named Larry. Larry, says this being of pure light, I've come from the heavenly realms to tell you that your meditation is so pure and focused that all of the beings in the pure lands have taken notice of it, Larry. And so it has been decided to award you with a choice. You may choose, Larry, the Buddha's wisdom or the wealth of the world. And Larry, of course, chooses all of the wisdom. So be it, says the deity, and then disappears in a puff of emptiness. Larry just sat there, saying nothing. And finally, one of the other two monks can't stand it anymore. Say something! He pleads with Larry. Larry quietly responded, I should have taken the money. <laughs> Kinfolk, let us pray. Almighty and gracious God, may the words of my lips and the meditations of all our hearts and minds be pleasing and acceptable unto thee, our guide and our destination. Amen. The Gospel of Mark is the shortest gospel in the Bible, and it was the first of the four gospels to be written. It's the earliest and oldest of the four gospels. And so for the shortest gospel, I will offer a short sermon. <laughs> Jesus' sermon today in Mark, we just heard the second half of it, it's the single longest speech that Jesus delivers in the Bible. The fact that it's included in the shortest and oldest of the four gospels seems important. It's impossible, it's impossible today to understand, to really understand, I would say for most of us to understand, the context in which this speech is given, unless we comprehend that the people who wrote the Gospel of Mark are wrestling with an absolutely unimaginable tragedy in their lives. Mark was written soon after the total destruction of the temple by the Roman army. I think that most of us could, well, most of us could probably try to imagine the end of the world. Um, there seem to be an endless number of Hollywood blockbusters made about the end of the world. But I don't know that it's possible for us to understand how traumatic it must have been for the people of Palestine to experience the destruction of the temple by the Roman army. It's more uh, than the end of the world. It's, it probably felt like the end of time. It felt like the end of God. The end of meaning. There aren't very many analogies that I can draw from in modern life. But immediately I think of Mark Fisher, uh, the economist, uh, Mark Fisher's quote. He, he writes that for Americans, it's easier to imagine the end of the world than the end of capitalism. Because we worship money in America. I don't think that's a particularly controversial thing to say. Uh, 
It's probably our most sacred idol. And most Americans can't imagine a world without it. The loss of money for us causes significant and acute pain in, in our lives. You take an American, they could be, you could be, a person could be surrounded by breathtaking beauty, uh, a loving community of marvelous people. They could want for nothing, really. And the loss of money brings the weeping and the gnashing of teeth. I think about that a lot. Um, so the destruction of the temple, the destruction of the temple dominates the apocalypse of Mark. What are we going to do, the people think, after this thing has happened? It's an apocalypse. Well, you know, there's a lot of apocalypses in the Bible. I went and counted. There's uh, 15 of them, unless I miscounted. Apocalypses are pretty popular. The apocalypse of, of, of Mark, the apocalypse that Jesus is describing, is different from the others. And I'm going to explain how in just a second. But remember that apocalypse is a fancy Greek word that just means to, re to reveal something that was hidden from view. It's from kalupto. Kalupto means um, covered up. And apo is to remove. Uh, so to take away the cover. That's what apocalypse means. It's like playing a game with a baby. You know, you, you've got a blanket. You hide something under the blanket. What's under the blanket? You know, can you guess? We pull out the blanket. Aha! You know, it's a toy or a bit of candy or something. Humans love this game. Um, whenever I see the word apocalypse... I always think of those scratch-off lottery tickets. Those things, that's big money, you know? You get to scratch-off lottery ticket, you know, you spend your $2, you get to play peekaboo with the government, you know? <laughs> oh, what's, what's under the scratch-off ticket? Aha! No money! <laughs> hey, no money for you. I was cribbing notes, I was thinking about this uh, from my Le, Lacan, Lacanian psychoanalysis. We, take, we go back to infancy, uh, and we think of the face of the, the mother, the first face, the first other, is the mother's face hovering over the darkness of life. Uh, and then we play a game with babies, right? The hands cover the face, right? and then peekaboo. We play peekaboo. Every culture and in every time in history of human beings on this planet has played peekaboo with babies. That's interesting. What if that's the answer to everything? <laughs> Is that too? That's silly. But maybe it's not silly. I don't know. Lacan wrote a lot of books about it. We have the face. And the face disappears. And the face reappears. And the infant begins to develop object permanence, an understanding of time. And with that comes the parallel desire to make things permanent, to make things forever, to fix them in time. But they aren't, and they can never be. And our fear and anxiety and attachment is overwhelming. It overshadows all of the beautiful things that are around us. We can miss them. We are dreaming creatures. 
We think we're awake. But most of the time, we're like a bored teenager staring at a fridge full of food, loudly complaining that there's nothing to eat. The apocalypse of Mark, the apocalypse of Jesus Christ, the end of the temple, the destruction of the things that we had ignorantly assumed were permanent and forever, this is nothing more than just pulling aside the curtain and revealing the way that things actually are. So what good is it for? What good is it if the truth is that everything goes away in the end? What's the point? Well, here's where I think that Mark's apocalypse is a little bit different. I've read a lot of apocalypses. I went and read a bunch before I was writing this sermon. Not only the 15 or so that are in the the Holy Bible, I read apocalypses from other religions. Apocalypse sells. If you want to write a religious book and you're looking to get in the market, write an apocalypse. It's popular stuff. I also read apocalypses from our modern civic religions. Um, I saw a sign the other day that said, um, the election of Donald Trump will be the end of America. That's an apocalypse. Uh, That's a pretty bold one. I see this, I read the overwhelming sense of dread and despair among young people about the environmental collapse, the planet on fire from global warming. And it makes itself known through an apocalypse, through writings. And it's everywhere. I was in Chicago in 2016 when the Cubs won the World Series. You haven't seen an apocalypse like that. (laughs) Apocalypse is all around us all the time. We just pick, we pick and choose which ones we want to take seriously. That's, I think, what we do. And since I can't seem to take anything seriously, I read them all. And I notice a difference. This is what's different about Jesus' apocalypse. In a normal apocalypse, generally speaking, it starts with the boss showing up. The apocalypse starts with mom and dad coming home, suddenly, unexpectedly. It starts with the authority figure appearing, and then things get hairy for a while. But Jesus doesn't really do that in Mark. In Mark, people say that he does. You know, they say, Jesus is coming back. Look busy. Jesus says, no. In fact, first, things are going to get out of pocket. First, things are going to get really hairy. He says, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken, and fire and brimstone, you know, coming down from the sky, rivers and seas boiling, dogs and cats living together, Mass hysteria. And then, and then, after the pain, after the destruction, after the loss, then we see the Son of Man coming in glory. This is a great cosmic game of peekaboo. We see the face of our mother, and then the hands close, and she's gone. She's disappeared. Chaos, disorder, the loss of everything that we thought was permanent, existential crisis, the world is upside down, we are utterly alone, and then the hands part, and the smile returns. There she is. There she is. God does not appear to us like a magician showing up and pulling out the rug from under our lives. God is not our parents coming home early. 
God is not the sudden flashing red and blue lights in the rearview mirror on a highway. No, God is waiting. Waiting. God is waiting until we stop dreaming, stop pretending that we can make everything last forever. God is waiting until after the stars have fallen from the sky, after the sun has gone out and the moon has become darkness. God is waiting until after the catastrophe, patiently waiting for us to calm down. And God is waiting for us to decide all on our own that the catastrophe is over and we can decide it's over whenever we want to. Then and only then does God appear. Then the hands come apart, peekaboo. We remember all the stuff that we'd forgotten, that God never disappeared. It is as Leonard Cohen wrote in, in, in Beautiful Loser, Buffy uh, St. Marie so beautifully sang, God is alive, magic is afoot. God never died. Though his funeral lengthened and though his mourners thickened, magic never fled. Though his shrouds were hoisted, the naked God lived. Though his words were twisted, the magic thrived. And though his death was published round and around the world, the heart did not believe. There's nothing permanent about this world. It is terribly sad to me that people stumble dreaming through this world and through this life, and they're totally blind to the wonder and delicious miracles of every single moment. That's a tragedy, but it's temporary. The only thing that is permanent is God, waiting. And God will wait for me and for you, patient and faithful, until we are ready, ready to wake up. Ready. So, wake up. Amen.